0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry.
1: Hey, it's Paul Axton, and today I'm talking to Michael Hines. And Michael, at this point in time, may have known me longer than practically anybody I know in the world, uh, (laughs) other than my immediate family. Uh, that you were—I think I was fifteen, or no, I was about sixteen years old. Uh, in Great Bend, Kansas, and you were the minister. Uh, in Great Bend when we moved there, yeah. Uh, and you were—I think you at that time were between you. Had you—you uh, you were about to teach or had taught at Nebraska Christian College?
0: No, uh, I had always wanted to but was never offered an opportunity to do that. Uh, I never I didn't begin my teaching until I left Great Bend and we went to uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, where I uh, ministered to Orchard Mesa Christian Church and was gradually worked into the faculty at Intermountain Bible College, which is now uh, no longer in existence. But that was my first uh, introduction to teaching.
1: Well see now've I've had you in the wrong place for the last uh, forty years or, or so <laughs> more than forty years. <laughs> so uh, and then uh, Michael and I also, we we weren't there at the same time, but we also crossed paths sort of in Arizona again, that my home church in Arizona was Camelback Christian Church. And Joe Smith had been my uh, kind of my mentor for many years through high school and college, and clear on to the point that he passed away. And uh, you were when were you at Camelback?
0: Uh, let's see. We started at Camelback about uh, let's see it'd be nine years ago uh, today. so it would be about 2007 or eight. Uh, we had moved to Palm Springs from, from here in Phoenix, and uh, a short time later I was con- contacted by one of the men of the church and asked if I would do an interim. And I agreed to do that, uh, conditioned on the idea that it would be only until they hired a full-time minister or until the end of the year and at the end of the year, I was still doing it, and I did it for six years. I drove back and
1: forth to <laughs> Palm Springs for six years. That's a long interim ministry.
0: <laughs> That's a long interim ministry. <laughs> I, I think there were some other things they had in mind. They kind of, I think, wanted me to move back to Phoenix, but I just purchased a uh, what was for us a very expensive house in Palm Springs. And, yeah. And the uh, market crunch had come, and it lost about hundred thousand dollars in value. And I, I couldn't stand the loss of that, trying to sell it and move back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Michael, ha- you've written a book uh, on Islam, and that's sort of that, that's why we're talking today. I mean, you're also a, a, a professor of church history and an expert on the Restoration Movement. But uh, tell – what is the name of your book, and and it's available, as I understand it, on Amazon.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, the book is entitled False Prophet or Fake Prophet. I'm sorry, Fake Prophets are strange. I don't even know the name of my own book. Uh, It's called Fake Prophet, and then it's subtitled Essays in Islam and its Prophet. And it's just a collection of essays, really – I wrote a series of articles on Islam for the Restoration Herald, uh, Mm. which is published in in Cincinnati, and uh, just decided I would put those together in a book format and published it through CreateSpace, which is now Kindle Direct Publishing. Uh, And the book is available online in both. uh, I think it's available. I know it's available in a hard copy. I don't know if I've yet ported it. For a digital copy or not, I'll have to check that. I probably should.
1: and I've been reading it uh, and and have found it uh, quite engaging. and so we thought we'd just talk a little bit about uh, the, the the Islam and as we as I've been doing these podcasts here, uh, that we do have a following in in several uh, predominantly Muslim countries. And so part of what we want to do is as uh, kind of lay out, well, here here is an understanding, but in in laying out this understanding, that uh, that uh, what is the you know the common ground or where wh- what is a kind of area that we can uh, that that there's a meeting place? And so clearly, there is uh, I- ideological, doctrinal, you know, belief differences. But as we describe these differences, uh, the point is not hostility or hatred or anger, uh, but the the idea is, well, here is an understanding of Islam and, and uh, uh, what would be uh, the point, you know, what, how could we uh, begin a, a conversation? And so with that in mind, let me ask you then um, – I guess the basic question is who who is Muhammad which sounds like a, a you know it should be a straightforward question but as I understand it there are a range of answers.
0: Yeah there really are the traditional story of course is that Muhammad was uh, somewhat of an orphan child his parents died very young he was raised by an uncle and a grandfather uh born about 570 uh in mecca and raised there uh he, he uh, as he grew up his uh, uncle and grandfather uh took him on various caravan trips with them he was introduced to a number of different religious backgrounds through those trips and so on uh but uh was not really convinced by any of them uh later in life Uh, he married Khadija, a 40-year-old woman. He was much younger. Uh, And she was apparently a woman of some wealth who also owned a trading business. And he uh, uh, was responsible for continuing that business. Uh, One Muslim writer that I read said he was a very honest and forthright businessman, well-appreciated, uh, but while in Mecca about 610, uh, he had his first vision in the Hera cave somewhere located outside of Mecca. Uh, he was not convinced that this was something, from, uh, something from, from God at all, but maybe even from the evil one. Uh, but it's interesting, really, because uh, when he went back and related all of his experience in the Hira cave to Khadija, uh, she had a relative who was an Nestorian Christian, and he actually told Muhammad that these were from God and should be adhered to. Uh, but from about 610 to 621, he received the Meccan uh, revelations, and then uh, 622 is when he had his famous Hijra, uh, his flight from Mecca to Medina. It was known as Yathrib at the time. Uh, and then from six, uh, 22 to 32 over the period of that, that time, he had the Medinan revelations, uh, far more Meccan revelations than Medinan. Uh, the uh, Meccan rev- revelations were far more peaceable and, uh, irenic i guess you could say uh the latter ones were much more warlike and violent Uh, there were a number he became um, not just a, a prophet in medina but also a political figure uh one one writer called him a community organizer Uh, Mm. because he he worked with the downtrodden in Medina. There were three Jewish clans in the city, as well as Arabians, and they were usually at war with one another, and he was trying to bring that uh, to a peaceable resolution, which I don't think ever really happened. But that's also where he began his raids on caravans, particularly from Mecca, and uh, a lot of the uh, warlike, violent, Notations in the Quran began to appear during this particular period
1: so um, I mean yeah the interesting part in this history I think that some of us who are not as aware that that uh, both Judaism and Christianity are immediate influences and what you're describing is that a Nestorian Christian uh, may have encouraged Muhammad to to heed <laughs> the voice of God or whatever voice he, he might have been hearing so and I assume that that is that that uh, as the uh, he has these visions that as with that the the personage that he's hearing from or the uh, is it the Archangel uh, that uh, who, who does he identify the messenger as well
0: the messenger identifies himself as jabril which we would call Gabriel mm-hmm a messenger from God, Uh, and then the jury is out on exactly how those were given, Uh, but undoubtedly they were supposedly memorized by the prophet and then related to others in his company who also memorized them at times.
1: And so the, just the the fact the name of the messenger and is that uh is that would be that be the Arabic equivalent of Gabriel I mean is yes. I mean he yes. he Gabriel. he's he's familiar with the Old Testament he's fi- familiar with Christianity and so one would presume that this is a, of necessity uh, a shaping of his understanding of of whatever this is that's happening
0: um, yeah, let me say something here about the Quran that I think is, is important to take note of. Uh, simply because the Quran is said by Muslim writers and scholars to be a perfect book maintained in heaven and that it was given then by Jibreel to Muhammad in bits and pieces. And when you read the Quran, you'll take note of that because the stories are Rarely, there's only one story in all of the Quran that really com- is complete. Uh, others are kind of uh, fragmented and they're scattered around. Uh, they're, they, they're, they're kind of difficult for us to read, uh, with a Western mindset, particularly. A lot of it is poetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, when, what you find in the Quran, and I'll mention this again later if we talk about Jesus and Issa, um, that there are stories about Issa in the Quran that could only have come from sources uh, that were Christian. Mm hmm sort of i mean i'm not trying to say they were they, they weren't orthodox christians they weren't christians as accepted by most of the western world uh, many of the stories were what we would call in in, uh, in christianity the pseudographical mm-hmm. or uh, apocryphal stories many of some of them are gnostic uh, there are also some stories in there from various targums and Hebrew literature. Uh, frankly, I'm not qualified to talk about those because my knowledge of Old Testament, while I know the content, is Hebrew, etc. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not good at, so I just can't deal with that.
1: But one was the one of them was I think you mentioned the Gospel of Thomas, which was a uh, is that right? A Gnostic text?
0: Yeah, and the, the Infancy Gospels of Thomas. Mm-hmm. That's one of them. Um, and uh, in those in those uh, the story is told about Jesus who speaks from the cradle. Uh, that's found in Surah three, ayah forty six. That's chapter three, mm-hmm. verse forty six. Another story is where Jesus takes mud makes it into birds and they fly away. Uh, That's found in Surah 3, Ayah 49. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, uh, most of those, those two stories particularly come out of uh, writings that we found in the Nag Hammadi library, for example, some of those writings there. And again, I'm not, I'm not a Gnostic scholar of their writings at all. So I can't, I just have read and found that those are found there.
1: Would there be a? I mean, in Gnosticism, there is a kind of uh, the idea that the flesh, in some way, is evil, and that you know, the that, that Gnosticism, of course, is already a repudiation of the the possibility that a man Jesus could be deity. Uh, is that perhaps reflected in the, in Muhammad's understanding?
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, while, while while Muslims generally accept uh, Issa uh, and, uh, and actually acknowledge him as Messiah, uh, he is not divine. Uh, there is no trinity. Allah has no partners nor offspring. Uh, so they would see any effort to see Jesus as a part of a trinity or as a divine son of God as a, as shirk. I mean, that's what they call heresy. Uh, mm-hmm. it, would, it would be simply something to re- reject all out of hand.
1: And I, I mean uh, that to state it from a, an Islamic perspective or from a Gnostic perspective, It has to be the case that one of the strangest teachings in Christianity is in regard both to who God is and who Jesus is. In other words, I think this is uh, a unique understanding. First of all, the teaching of uh, uh, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, not three gods, not three persons, not that God, uh, you know, had a wife and then had a son but that there are these persons but the persons are are a unity which then gives us the possibility uh, of the the Incarnation that and so the the very notion of Trinity Jesus as deity uh, it has to be if if uh, one does not start there that would be uh, that, of course, is what Gnosticism, even in the time, or maybe it's a proto-Gnosticism, that even in the time of the New Testament, uh, that is an impossibility for most of humanity. That, uh, in Greek thought, in you know typical Roman religion, uh, that that is the the kind of thing that Paul calls foolishness to the Greeks, and a scandal.
0: Yes. And, well, docetism or, uh, you know, any of the other n- forms that you might call, that's not really Gnostic, but it, it it's proto-Gnostic in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some of the other Gnostic concepts w- would fit into that and, and would certainly want to deny uh, any kind of relationship or similar or identical essence with the Father. Uh, they would deny that completely, and so in in Islam, Jesus becomes a prophet, uh, a human prophet.
1: And and by Jesus, we are we equating Isa and Jesus.
0: Well, the Muslims generally equate Isa with Jesus, and that's kind of strange because uh, Arabic has a, a name has a name for jesus it's very similar to the Jewish name uh yesu or yeshua uh, but yet they've they've uh, referred to him as Issa and um there's conflicting some some conflicting story conflicting stories about where this might come from uh I read one account where uh some some jewish uh, members of the Jewish three Jewish tribes in in Medina, at least somebody in that group, uh, tried to convince Muhammad that 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 what he was talking about was Esau in the Old Testament. Now I'm not I can't tell you why they did that, mm-hmm. other than just to pull a fast one, perhaps. Uh, but that the name Issa came from that. Uh, mm-hmm. There's an, there are other possibilities as well. Uh, but right now I'm having a difficult time trying to remember exactly where that comes from. Let me uh, let me look here. Uh, I've got a few notes just uh, because I thought it would be helpful for me. Um, but I don't think I wrote that down.
1: <laughs> but uh, if I remember, I in your book that you that this is the name, the Arabic name for Esau, in the right. Old Testament. And for some reason, they call Jesus by the name Esau, and so that somewhere there may have been confusion. But for the most part, Issa—am I saying the name right? Yeah, Issa—is the presumed to be the same uh, as Jesus, except that Muslims would not accept. the, the uh, New Testament understanding of Jesus' deity, no, not at all. but he's just another prophet.
0: Yeah, there, there are actually 93 different references to Isa in the Quran. Uh, most of them link him with uh, his virgin birth. And Muslims do accept the vir- the virgin birth, but they have no understanding as to why the virgin birth occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they see him in eschatological terms as uh, a precursor to the end. Uh, he will actually come back, uh, according to Muslim eschatology, kill all of the pigs and all of the Jews and the, uh, then, in one version of it, the Mahdi comes, and everything is brought into focus on Islam, and there and a worldwide Ummah or community comes into being uh, essentially a worldwide caliphate where all where Islam is the only faith allowed or permitted or promoted.
1: Which brings us uh, uh, to the issue. Of uh, in this day and age, that what we know of Islam is most often characterized as a radical Islam, and that some people would say, well, uh, that uh, Islam or the Quran, there would be an argument that it's either inherently violent, or that there are moderate Islam Muslims who would say, well, no, that that the uh, jihad is a spiritual jihad, it's not a literal, uh, you know, uh, jihad, but it's one that one carries out inwardly. Do you, uh, where do you come down on that?
0: Well, my first question to someone who says that it is a spiritual jihad is to ask why then does the Quran uh, tell us that those who are crippled or aged are not expected to participate in a jihad. Hmm. Uh, I think that when you go back and you begin to read the actual statements, and of course, if you're if you're not reading it in Arabic, you're not really reading the Quran. You know that, don't you?
1: Right. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually, in uh, when I was in Japan. We had an inter religious dialogue that was hosted by a particular Muslim group, and they freely read the Quran uh, in English so that we could all understand. But there were Muslims who attended that were quite offended that that, that was the format or that we were reading it in English. So, yes. I'm yeah,
0: sure. I, I think that what you, if, if they're being honest with you, I think you'll find out that it, the. Quran can only be understood in Arabic, and any English rendering of it is merely a commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Quran I have uh, is one by Khan. It has the Arabic and the English both, and uh, the English translations are filled with, with parentheses and statements, which have to be added to the, the translation for it to be understandable. Uh, and this is one that, that I would, many people ask me about. I would recommend if you're going to buy a Quran that you, and read it, or you can find them online, uh, that you buy one or get one that has the Arabic and the English or whatever language they happen to be, you know, what happens to be their heart language mm-hmm. that they use that. But uh, you need to have the Arabic uh, so that. If you're conversing with, with a Muslim, you have the Arabic there, and they can see it for themselves rather than just the English translation.
1: And what is the particular one you're recommending?
0: Uh, I recommend one by Khan, K-A-H-N. I, I don't have the full name, and uh, uh, sadly my version of it I, that I copied off up here. on the I got it off the Internet. Uh, it's Khan and somebody else, but I can't tell you. The most popular one, I think, is by Ali. Mm-hmm. And uh, but those are all easily available,
1: and so I guess that the, uh, a Christian a, a Christian understanding of Islam, in fact, would would say about is Islam that it is uh, not uh, in, in in a sense is not different from from the universal problem. Uh, that we find in every religion, uh, that if one does, in other words, the contention is that if we accept that Christ is Lord, that he is God, that's, that is the pivot point through which we interpret the Old Testament, we understand who human beings are, we understand who God is, uh, that the image of God that we bear is one that uh, we find is is perfectly mediated to us or restored to us in Christ. But that picture, very simple picture of God, Jesus, human beings, redemption—how would it differ in a in a Muslim perspective?
0: Uh, what you're essentially asking me is the difference. I want to make sure that I understand is the difference between Allah and our understanding of, of Jehovah or God.
1: Yes, that would be. <laughs> In other words, right, that, you, let's start right, well, there. I asked you. I asked you all all too right, much well, questions. Uh, the,
0: the major, the main difference that I would, I would sum up the main difference this way: uh, Christians. And, and Jews particularly, but Christians in particular, would understand God to be personal, uh, a deity who wants relationship. He's not only a creator, but when you see the first chapters of Genesis, he not only created the heavens and the earth and placed Adam and Eve in the garden, but he actually came down and, and had relationship with them. Mm-hmm. He, he created them in his image so that they could have a relationship. In Islam, Allah is totally separate. Allah is, is absolute transcendence. Even in the creation, he places Adam and Eve in, and, and they believe in the creation, they, he, they place Adam and Eve in a paradise separate from where Allah is. And he and, the, and his creation literally have no relationship. Mm. They don't touch. They don't talk. They don't speak to one another. Uh, they have nothing to do with one another. Uh, and thus, Allah becomes unknowable. Uh, you really can't know Allah. Uh, Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, is, is a God who wants to know us, wants to relate with us. And even after Adam and Eve sinned, and that of course that would necessitate a great discussion on the understanding of, of sin in Islam as well as in Christianity, but even after their sin, God took steps to restore a relationship that had been broken. And we see in Genesis 3.15, the first promise of that restoration that was to ultimately come through the death, burial, and resurrection the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Uh, but Islam would deny that sacrifice Jesus, Isa, did not die on a cross Uh, he was not raised from the dead And, and thus there's nothing in their thinking at all that relates to the atonement
1: so the, the, in that sense, again, it sounds like that, I mean, in this discussion, Christianity is the odd man out, that what is taught in Christianity <laughs> is that God is a personal God, and part of that, uh, in other words, part of even arriving at what we mean by personal, uh, uh, but both Judaism and Islam, I assume, would agree perhaps with that statement but of course what it Trinity is the idea but he's a person who relates to humanity. So while we right. might acknowledge God's absolute transcendence, uh that's not all that in Christianity and seemingly in the Old Testament, that God walks in the garden in the cool of the day, that he right. appears
0: God's, God God appears in various forms at various times like the at the Oaks of Mamre, for example. Uh, I think Christianity would say that God is transcendent. We would accept that. I don't think there's a problem with that. Mm-hmm. But I think we would also insist that God is imminent, that he's very close to us, and he wants a relationship with us.
1: And so, the, in this sense, Islam, Gnosticism... Uh, let me let me make a claim here though we often think that the that what is combated in the Old Testament in idolatry is the taking of God who is transcendent and making him imminent but actually I, I think that's a, a partial misunderstanding that the Jews never had a problem with the the idea that God is imminent what they had a a problem with, of course, is the manipulation of God and the, the transforming of God either to, into something completely imminent or in, I think the two things are not completely disconnected uh, in my experience in Japan, you know, or even in a, in a Hindu idolatrous religion the idol very often is not the object of adoration but the idol is representative of of, in fact, what is ultimately inaccessible. And so in this sense, the, the uh, God has made himself accessible. He's opened up a, a way that we can know him. And the problem is not the human nature or the nature of God, that in a Christian understanding, the problem is human rebellion or sin. Exactly. How how is what I'm saying different from a Muslim view of sin?
0: Essentially, if I were to categorize it in in Islam sin is simply wrong thinking.
1: And so it's then, not it's um, not
0: a, it's not an affront to Allah. It's simply that you you know they don't have a real sense of of The idea that sin separates you from from God it's simply you're not thinking right, and thus you need to be corrected.
1: You need, uh, again, this, you need a special knowledge. You need to know. Again, yes. Which, again, sounds, uh, I mean, I'm thinking here of the Gnostic influence. Well
0: honestly, Paul, I came to the conclusion and, and you know, my studies are are sh- still uh, scraping just the very top of, mm-hmm. of the whole issue. But in my preliminary studies, and what I voice in the book, it, is my conviction that Islam may simply be another another Christian heresy.
1: Which uh Maybe the the the, you know one of the things that Soren Kierkegaard said is that he compared paganism with a Christianity or a truth that has been perverted, and he's not talking about Islam here. He's just talking about, uh, but he's his point is that with Christianity and the advent of Christianity there is an unleashing of the demonic. And I, I'm not, I don't mean to, to be pejorative here, but the, the point being that the, the perversion of the truth is almost worse than uh, a lie, a kind of pagan lie uh, devoid of, of truth. Is that a false characterization?
0: <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that. Uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to give you an answer. But, but uh, well, I, I, you know, I'm not as familiar with Kierkegaard and some of his thinking and processes as, as you may be, but I'd have to, but it sounds it sounds at first, you know, what I hear you saying, it sounds right, but I want to really think about it.
1: The And part of what is being said, or the logic of what he's being said, that if we think of Christianity and in terms of if this is the truth, and in some way we've received the fruit, the truth and then it has been perverted or undone or rejected. That is a worse estate than to not have received the truth and to, and to still be the, the possibility be there that one would hear this good news for the first time and recognize it as the resolution uh, to the human predicament. And I think that's part of the issue here, that that once that Christianity, <clears throat> whether it's by Islam or whether it's by a perverse Christianity of which there are many kinds, whether it's by the various cults who have perverted Christ. Right. That it may be that they will have a harder time apprehending who Christ is in reality because their own understanding has already rejected
0: yeah, uh, uh, that I would you know you've explained that more to me, and I really think you're right on uh but I have to say paul uh your your thinking is so much deeper than it was when you were sixteen. <laughs> are you are you serious really
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah that's that's what I was afraid of that you'd start telling people about what I was like when I was 16
0: I'm not gonna I won't go any further than that (laughs) yeah Uh, I will just say simply that 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 I, I I honor you now as I did your parents because I appreciated your parents so very much, and uh, and and I am really appreciative of where you've gone, and what you've done, and what you've become, and uh, if even if I played even a little smidgen of a part in that, it makes me proud to know you.
1: Well, Mike, I appreciate that. No, you absolutely the the church there in Great Bend and. I, 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 there, most of what I did when I was 16, I don't want to talk about, but even (laughs) what what I, yeah, that, that, uh, uh,
0: let's go, let's move on, Mike. (laughs) Let's go on, let's go on to the next topic. (laughs) Okay. Uh, uh, something that I want to mention to you in the process of this discussion, uh, is that... Uh, I think your listeners need to be aware of the fact that anything that I write or say about this is not because I hate Muslims. Uh, In fact, just the opposite is true. Uh, But even as you have voiced in what you just did a few moments ago, uh, my conviction is that uh, anything that, that perverts the truth Is dangerous, Mm -hmm. and I really, you know, if if my Muslim friends care as much about the truth and and see what I believe is wrong and untruthful, uh, then they need to be open to discussing it with people who care about them and love them, and and want to share where they're coming from as well, so that not just that they meet somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. but that they actually search for what is true and uh, what they upon what they can build their lives on. And, of course, as a Christian, I'm convinced that there's no name given under heaven whereby a man must be saved, but in Jesus, and that's rather exclusive. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I want to share that in any way that I can, and one way of doing that sometimes is to raise questions. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, That needs to be said. Uh, There are some other things that I think need to be said as well. Uh, For example, uh, there there's no real record of any full compilation of the Quran until the reign of Uthman, uh, who is the third caliph, Mm. and uh, that the the first real recension of it isn't until around 691 and the first full copies of it really aren't uh, standardized, I guess you could say until sometime in the seventh century or eighth century. I'm, I'm sorry. And uh, that there are no manuscripts because Uthman had any bits and pieces and partial manuscripts or any even complete manuscripts burned after putting his compilation together so there's no way that we have any 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 record of that and there are only six old manuscripts and all of them date back to the 7th or 8th century mm-hmm. so those are the earliest that we have
1: and and this is important because the the Quran is the only avenue in other words Muhammad Unlike Jesus we I mean we believe that Jesus in some way or that Christ is some way present to us that he's present in the church that we have access not to God not simply through scripture but it seems like that in Islam the 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 necessity that the Quran uh be historically accurate is almost of of greater importance to Islam, then it is that the Bible uh, be one hundred percent accurate uh, to Christians, because in a sense the Quran is what we know and the access that we have to the person of Muhammad. Is that is that a fair no, way of saying it?
0: No, that's not exactly accurate because Muhammad is if, if he actually existed. Muhammad is only mentioned once in the Quran. Uh, and other references refer to the prophet or the messenger of God, and the assumption is there that those references refer to Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Information about Muhammad really comes from the hadith, which are the collections of sayings, uh, and there are hundreds of thousands of those. They've been boiled down uh, in the 8th century by uh, a number of different Muslim scholars, uh, al-Bukhari, al-Muslim, and some others, Uh, and and they are supposedly the collection of sayings that uh, Muhammad made uh, in his lifetime, and they were all, of course, uh, memorized and then uh, passed down, and then Bukhari and Muslim and the others had to weed through those to find out which ones they would actually accept and which ones they would actually reject. Uh, then there are the histories. Uh, Ibn Ishaq uh, put together the first history of Muhammad, and then Isham uh, later working from Ishaq's histories, and those don't come about till the ninth century. So there's about uh, well, there's several hundred years between the actual lifetime of Muhammad and the writing of his histories that give us any information about him whatsoever. Very little in the Quran. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: the Quran is just not uh, a history book. It's, it's, uh, uh, there are some historical events, the Battle of Badr and a few other things are mentioned in the Quran. But largely, it's just a collection of directives, of, of visions uh, that he received and passed on. And, and uh, the history, the actual life history of Muhammad isn't known until much later.
1: Well, then, I mean, that raises the question Then I, I may have completely misstated it. Uh, how important is Muhammad to Islam?
0: Well, to Islam today, he's extremely important, uh, because it, Muhammad is the, uh, example of the perfect man. He is the one to whom they look as an example of what, uh, a true Muslim follower of Islam is supposed to be. And so, a Muslim is, is, if, if I were, if you were putting it in Christian terms, uh, the, the goal of a Christian is to become like Christ. Mm-hmm. Is that not correct?
1: That's correct.
0: That's what disciple means, to replicate the teacher's mm-hmm. life in your own life. And in the goal of Islam, the goal is to look at, at Muhammad and to become like Muhammad and to, to actually replicate his life in yours insofar as it's possible. So... the, the they've tried to identify every aspect of his life and then replicate that in the life of an individual Muslim. Now, of course, not everybody does that
1: mm-hmm. any
0: more than in Christianity. We all try to absolutely replicate the life of Jesus. We talk a lot about it. And I'm sure there are those in Islam who talk a lot about it and don't do it.
1: And so you're describing that there is a, a basic historical predicament or problem of getting at who, in other words, we have the quest for the historical Jesus, but uh, the quest for the historical Muhammad, you're saying, is highly problematic.
0: It is highly problematic. The first inscription that really has the name Muhammad mentioned is in the Dome of the Rock, And uh, the Dome of the Rock was first built in 691 by Abd al-Malik. And uh, then the the first reference to Islam or Muslim is in those inscriptions in the Dome of the Rock.
1: And then we have the Hadith, uh, which is how far removed from the lifetime of Muhammad?
0: Uh The the collection, the Hadith, the the various sayings, the Ahadith, the various sayings circulated in verbal, some of them, I'm sure, in written form and just bits and pieces. Uh, But the the first writing of the Hadith isn't until uh, the life of uh, al-Bukhari, which, if I remember correctly, is somewhere in the 700s. So you're going from 622 to... Uh, at least the late, mid to late 700s, perhaps even as early as the 800s, but it would have to be very, very early in the 800s. Hmm.
1: And so your conclusion is that we don't have access to the, the historical person. We don't have uh, a documentation that is uh, – uh, is there a distortion? Of Muhammad in in the documentation, you think that we have?
0: Well, it depends on who you read. <laughs> mm-hmm. Quite honestly, uh, in fact, there are those uh, writers who really are more, even extremely vociferous in their attacks on on Islam, who argue amongst themselves as to whether he was a real person or not, mm-hmm. uh, whether he actually existed. Uh, uh, David Wood, for example, uh, who's quite well-known in, in uh, these circles, uh, argues very strongly that he existed. Uh, Robert Spencer, uh, who's an Orthodox Christian, uh, who, whose, parent, whose ancestry goes back into the Middle East, uh, argues that he didn't exist. Uh, in fact, Robert Spencer one, has a book uh, on the market Questioning Muhammad's existence at all He thinks he was a, merely an invention uh, By Abd al Malik About 691 In that per- particular period To explain why Arabs had risen to power
1: So that would be One extreme What would be the, the median And the other extreme
0: well, of course, the median is the is the history that's very that's traditional.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That would be the mid midpoint, in my mind at least. It might not be, but that's that's where I would put it.
1: And the other would be that, in some way, we have total access that that they're the in other words,
0: yeah, that the that the collections of the hadith and the and then the histories under of Ishaq and Hisham are both accurate and tell tell the, tell the story of, of Muhammad as it should be told.
1: Do you have a problem with that?
0: Um, well, I don't have a problem of it from the perspective of Islam, but according to, to the separation of, the, of and the records, it's hard to put that together. If you apply the same kind of science, if you want to call it that, that was applied to the Bible in the early 1900s or late 1800s uh, with all of the textual and critical uh, criticism, it, it doesn't add up.
1: Mm-hmm. And you do that a bit that just compare the historical textual criticism of uh, the Bible and the Quran and of, of uh, the, um, the that it is quite a contrast.
0: Yes. Yeah, there there's some. It just you know, it, uh, there are there are some really good recent histories about what was going on in the Middle East at this time. One of whom I was introduced to is an English historian named Tom Holland, who has a book called. Uh, uh, in the shadow of the sword. And he points out that during uh, this particular period uh, in the, in the uh, late um, mid to late 600s, there's quite a pressure, a lot of tension between Rome and Persia, which we all know is was going on for centuries. Uh, and that there were other f- factors involved in the, in the, in the area at that particular time. Uh, the Black Death was rampant during that period. Rome lost uh, much of its population. And I, when I speak of Rome, I don't mean Rome in Italy. I'm talking about the Byzantine Empire. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were financial issues. Uh, uh, Rome was unable to keep its forts on the borders manned as Persia was in the same situation. Uh, they hired mercenaries from the Arabs. And when the Arabs realized they had such power, they simply took over. And of course, we have the beginning of the, uh, Umayyad Empire. And, and I'm not as familiar with these as I like to be or want to be. Uh, but I just know a little bit about this. You have the Umayyad Empire that rose, uh, to prominence during that period. And one of the, th- one of the theories is, and it's just a theory, uh, at this point, is that as they rose to power, uh, they noted that the Jews and the Christians both had a book, and thus they began to collect these bits and pieces of of whatever they were, whether they were revelations or uh, poems or whatever, from other from all kinds of sources, and combined them together to form a beginning of what became the Quran. Uh, part of that theory goes on to suggest that not only did they need a book, but they needed a man. And in, and the man turn becomes, is seen as Muhammad. Probably was some kind, uh, the, this theory proposes that there was probably some kind of an Arab warlord during that particular period who rose to power and had some potential, uh, in the leadership of the, of the people and they ascribe to him that name of Muhammad, uh, which means honored one or glory or glorified one. I'm not sure exactly if I have that right, but it's, it's close to that. Uh, and so now you have the book and a man uh, you have uh, uh, the need not only for, for that, but uh, the religion itself and At that same period, you begin to hear about Islam. Uh, Arabs were called Hagarines, Ishmaelites. uh, That's uh, Saracens Mm -hmm. uh, prior to their rise to power. Uh, But about 691, that all changes, and they become known as Muslims or the followers of Islam. Uh, It's just interesting to me. Uh, that those little things niggle at the back of my mind and raise some serious questions
1: that the yeah just the the idea that the Jews were the you know known as the people of the book that their their attachment to writing and and then that that seems to be carried on into Christianity, so that that in in and of itself is kind of unusual in terms of world religions. The reliance yeah. upon upon a book, and that seems to be shared with Islam. Um, let let me, uh, in conclusion, let me try a theory on you, <laughs> and see okay. if, see if I can, if you want to agree or disagree, that the that in Christianity, the primary predicament, the primary problem that Jesus is addressing is that we're alienated and that there is that part of this alienation as we see it carried out in the Old Testament. You know, it's not just that Adam and Eve are alienated from one another, but Cain will kill Abel. The next main character in the Bible is Lamech, who, you know, brags to his wives, Ada and Zila that he's killed him, a young man that has wounded me. And he seems to be representative of the generation of Noah who are ultimately, you know, I guess they're so violent uh, that there is something irredeemable that they're wiped out. Um, That clear on through that Paul says about Jesus in Corinthians that they have, you know, they killed the Lord of glory due to their own human wisdom. And they did not know, you know, Peter says this, Jesus says this, um, Paul says this, that the, the, the thing that put Christ on the cross, the violent alienation that characterizes all of humanity, is what is addressed in Christianity. And in this sense, if Islam is not of God, if it is not a inspired, you know, if the Quran is not an inspired book, I think it is it, it is characteristic of many of of human endeavors, human undertakings, that yes, it is it is a projection of the human predicament of the human problem, human violence, that can only be undone in the one who is the Prince of Peace and in and through the peaceable kingdom. And so in this sense, the problem is not, oh, this religion or this people are peculiarly violent. The problem is that in our fallenness, we are all turned to a kind of violence that is ultimately destructive.
0: Yeah, all you need to do is read the newspapers today, and you can see that, because there is violence everywhere you look.
1: And the cry is peace... Peace, that people imagine that through violence they will establish, uh, that they will gain peace, that they'll gain security. Islam's not unique in that. That's what every tribe and every nation uh, imagines, is that we, through our own power, can establish peace. And in fact, there is only one Prince of Peace, there is only one who ushers in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and generally it's when we're when we meet resistance. Uh, when you read the Quran, the the Meccan revelations are basically peaceable. Uh, but when he met resistance, he fled, and in Medina he met more resistance, and there was violence. And the Medinan revelations are abrogated, abrogate the older revelations. In other words, they they're they're seen as taking the place of the earlier revelations. Uh, but that's the way human nature is. We don't we get violent when we when we are opposed. Uh, or when we're rejected. Mm-hmm.
1: And that would be explain the, the that some are that do not accept that abrogation and and would cling to the 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 earlier texts rather than Certainly. the later text. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Michael, this has been this has been fascinating. I'm so glad we could do this. Uh,
0: yeah, I am too. I'm just glad to get back in touch with you. <laughs> <laughs> this has been
1: great. Uh, I'm uh, I, I sure appreciate it, and we'll have to, to continue the conversation.
0: Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, For more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.